This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Well, good morning and welcome to your aircraft carrier here, where we defend the bay on a daily basis for all of San Diego. Uh, we're honored to have uh, all of you young high school students here uh, today to learn a little bit about potentially your future. Some of you might be sitting there and going, I don't know what this has to do with me. I think a lot of you are, are going to be very interested in what your speakers have to say. And we're so fortunate here in San Diego to have so many great companies that you're going to hear from today that are really the leaders in America for this science, technology, engineering, arts, and math initiative that is a relatively new initiative uh, that is required as we transition into this new century. You know, just about a century ago, there were young people like you uh, around our nation, sitting in various cities, and there was no such thing as automobiles. Certainly the idea that you were going to fly in an airplane and lift off the earth was an absurd concept. And the belief that one day you would actually take for granted that there are ships where you can take off and land on would have been beyond the bizarre. But in those audiences somewhere were dreamers, inventors, uh, leaders in their community and country that began uh, this rapid transition over the last four generations that your parents and your grandparents were involved in leading. And you are on the leading edge of leading us into the next generation of what is possible in transportation. You will see in your lifetime the ability to take off from San Diego Lindbergh Field and land in London in a couple of hours. You'll invent a ship that goes over 100 miles an hour, and you're already working on cars that don't need drivers. If I went back 100 years and said, imagine all those things that are here today, the people would have probably put me in an insane asylum and said, you're crazy. You're, you're speaking wild concepts. The truth is, what are the wild concepts that you'll be inventing, that you'll be building, that will make America a better country and make the world more safe for the security and future of future generations? I hope you'll listen to the leaders that we have talking to you today, uh, appreciate uh, the little spark that they give you, because somewhere in this audience today are people who are going to drive the future of our country and the future inventions of our world in science, technology, engineering, uh, arts, and math. Um, help us build a better San Diego and enjoy your visit on the USS Midway, your aircraft carrying museum. Thanks for coming aboard today. All right, thanks, Mac. And uh, let's get right to our keynote speaker, Christy Jaska from Viasat.
Thank you. I'm not quite as tall as them. So, Can you hear me? All right. I am so glad to be here. It is really amazing. I'm sure you felt the same thing as you walked aboard and, and um, saw the scenery and, and all the cool things here. I look forward to walking around myself afterwards. I'm going to talk a little bit about what Viasat does um, in terms of space, and uh, that's the sky part of this talk. Um, think about the Internet. Can you imagine... Um, a life, we talked about life before cars. Well, what about life before the internet? Can you imagine that? Morning to night without Snapchat or Instagram, um, without everything that the internet provides for school, for home, for keeping informed, for keeping entertained. There's many places in the world and even in the U.S. that don't have high-speed internet. In fact, some places don't even have low-speed internet. They have nothing at all. So what I do at Viasat, along with my colleagues, is work to bring the internet to everyone, everywhere, at home, at school, or even in airplanes. And one of the ways we do that is with satellite. Uh, before I go into that, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got to uh, Viasat. I studied electrical engineering in college, but when I was your age in high school, um, I did like math and science. But I liked all kinds of subjects. I liked art. I liked reading. And so you don't have to love um, math and science only to go into engineering. I chose to study engineering because I thought there'd be lots of cool work out there and lots of great places to work um, with an engineering degree. And that turned out to be right. My, uh, my parents emigrated to the US from, from Eastern Europe, from Estonia. And they had nothing when they got here. In fact, I didn't even speak English when I started school. So having a good job out of college was especially important. So after college, I worked uh, a few years at another company. And then when I was 24 years old, I became the sixth person at a very small company at the time called Viasat. And we now have more than 3,700 people worldwide, and it's still very exciting. So let me give you a little bit of a flavor of the technical world that um, I work in, and then I'll show you how we use that for, set, uh, for internet. So a lot of people think that this here is a satellite. They, call, they said, hey, you brought the satellite. But to be technically correct, um, a satellite is a spacecraft that's launched into orbit on a rocket. And so you'll see pictures on the panel there of two of Viasat satellites. Viasat 1 is in orbit now, and Viasat 2 uh, will be launched soon. To give you a feeling for the size, the main core of the satellite is about the size of a school bus, the length of a school bus. And you can see the wings going out of the satellite in blue. Those are solar panels that give power to, the, um, to run the satellite. Uh, they have a wingspan of about 100 feet, or it's the same as a wingspan of a Boeing 737 airliner. Our satellites weigh about 15,000 pounds, which uh, that's about a little less than three large SUV cars. Other satellites come in different sizes. There's really small ones, too, nanosatellites. But we found that for our business, in order to provide high-speed Internet to the most people, uh, for reasonable prices, this is the kind of design that we need. 
So satellites are launched into orbit around the Earth on rockets, and these humongously long wings, the solar panels, 100 feet, um, fold up up to the side of the um, satellite, and the whole folded-up satellite fits into the nose of a rocket like this one, which I think is completely amazing, because <laughs> um, it's really big when it's unfolded. So satellites orbit the Earth, meaning they circle around the Earth, and some satellites make many circles per day. But our satellites orbit with a period of about 24 hours. So what do you think that means? That means as the Earth is rotating, the satellite's orbiting with the same period. And so for our satellites, when you're standing on some place on Earth, the satellite looks like it's just fixed overhead which is kind of convenient because then our antennas don't have to track the satellite. So how high up do you suppose our satellites are? Let me give you some reference points. When you're flying on an airplane across country, your cruising altitude in miles is about 6.5 miles. The International Space Station is about 250 miles up, so 6.5, 250 so how many of you think satellites are maybe 5,000 miles or less up? I'll give you three choices. It's either 5,000 miles or less, 15,000 miles or less, or 25,000 miles or less. So take a guess. How many think it's 5,000 miles or less? Okay. How many think it's 15,000 miles or less? Okay. And then how many think it's 25,000 miles or less? All right, that would be it. It's uh, 22,000 miles up, which is almost, uh, if you were to travel around the Earth along a circumference, that's about 25,000 miles, so it's almost that far up. So what does all this have to do with the Internet and Wi-Fi, which is what, what Viasat provides? Well, you probably know some people get Internet via cables like DSL or cable. But to get that, you have to have wires or cables coming to your building or wherever it is that you want to get the internet. And not every place is wired up, or sometimes that internet is slow, or sometimes people just want other choices. And so a great option to get internet is to use satellite. After all, satellite is everywhere. It's, uh, we have Viasat 1 is right over the United States, and it shines its beams down all over the country. And so wherever you're under a beam of a satellite and you have line of sight, you have visibility to the satellite, you can get satellite Internet. Um, so, well, how does that work? Well, let's just give an example. Let's say I have a photo, and I want to post this photo on Instagram, and I have satellite Internet. So how does that work? Well, first, the photo is transmitted wirelessly in the, in the air through Wi-Fi to, this is a satellite router. It's like a cable router. It goes, it goes in your house. Then the cable router, the photo would travel from the cable router up a cable to this satellite dish, which might be on your roof for the side of your building. And then from the satellite dish, your photo travels 22,000 miles up to the satellite and back down to a satellite gateway. Now, your photo is traveling at the speed of light. 
And so it only takes about a quarter of a second to get over to the satellite gateway. The satellite gateway sits on a high-speed uh, internet node, and from there it goes to Instagram where your friends can see it. And if you want to get something from the internet, maybe a photo or a web page or a video, um, it would follow just the opposite path coming down. Uh, what about airplanes? Can you imagine an airplane flying along with wires following it to get internet access? Of, of course not. That, that won't work. Uh, but Viasat satellites are a great option for this. Uh, our, we, our innovations resulted in the fastest Wi-Fi in the sky internet that we provide to several airlines. And back down on the ground, there's a KPBS news truck uh, with a Viasat satellite antenna that you may uh, see later as you're, as you're walking around. That's used for news gathering um, to send live video back to the newsroom. So I talked a little bit about satellites, um, which we work on with another company, Boeing. But in order to provide an Internet service, there's also a whole ground network um, that, to build and operate. And besides, Viasat designs uh, all kinds of other communications networks as well. So as you might imagine, there's lots of people working at technology companies um, like Viasat with all kinds of jobs. Uh, companies like ours certainly need engineers. So mechanical engineers would deal with the mechanics, the metal, the physical parts, at least in our company. Um, there's all kinds of other jobs for mechanical engineers too. Uh, hardware engineers design the electronics and software engineers write the programs that make the uh, network function and come to life. Uh, we need engineers to design the computer networks, the cybersecurity. But beyond engineers, it really does take a village to deliver the Internet. Uh, technicians would install the satellite dishes on, on buildings or in airplanes or in trucks. Customer service people help our customers. And there's so many other people that contribute. Uh, we have user experience designers. Uh, finance and accounting, marketing and sales, business analysts, human resources, lawyers and paralegals, all, all kinds of people and jobs to do. We even have people that work in our facilities department that make, make it a really fun place, workplace for us with volleyball courts and basketball courts. And we just put in a slide to quickly get down from the second floor to the first floor. And people actually use that for... <laughs> um, so I'm often asked, um, what do I think are important characteristics for a STEAM career? And from my personal experience and from Viasat, I'd answer that it's important to be curious, imaginative, and fearless. So what do I mean by that? Um, be curious. Uh, there was some talk about this earlier on in the introductions. I, I like to have discussions with people. I like to ask questions. And sometimes, in unexpected ways, this can lead to new understandings of things, to new insights, and even new opportunities. And you never know when that's going to happen. So get out there, talk to people, talk to your teachers, other people you meet, come see us at the tables. Um, and you never know what you learn or, or what might come of that. I've actually gotten great opportunities at Viasat in my work by first being curious um, about a new technology or a new discipline, and then actually starting to work in it. 
I kind of got out of my box and, and talked to people and found new opportunities. Some of the best things have come to me when I've been curious, and I encourage you to be curious too. Uh, be imaginative. At Viasat, we spend time imagining the future, and we talked about that earlier on too. What might the world be like five to ten years from now? For us, this helps us, our company, figure out what to do next. We try to imagine what problems our customers and future customers might have and how we can solve these problems in unique and compelling ways. Um, you are a great audience for figuring out what's going to happen in the future because five to ten years from now, you'll be in your 20s and you will be the future. And so maybe what you're interested in now um, is a good indication of what's coming. Be fearless. So I don't mean a crazy, blind kind of fearless, but rather a confident kind of fearless that comes from a reasonable amount of thought and exploration of an idea. And then you go for it, fearlessly. Uh, at Viasat, we haven't always designed satellites. We used to just design the ground equipment, and we used other people's satellites. Um, but then we saw a problem. The amount of internet that these other satellites could carry was not keeping up with the higher and higher speeds and more and more internet being used. So we came up with a satellite design that could carry 10 times more internet traffic, actually in many cases 100 times more internet traffic, than many of the, um, than the satellites that were currently in orbit. In fact, when we launched Viasat-1, it carried more internet traffic than all the other satellites over North America combined. Now, people in the industry, Viasat-1 was the first satellite we designed, people in the industry said, oh, you, this kind of capacity cannot be done in a satellite. And besides, you've never designed a satellite before, they said. But there it is. Viasat-1 was launched many years ago. It actually holds a record in the Guinness Book of World Records as the highest capacity communication satellite in the world. And we plan to break our own record with Viasat-2, which is the, the bottom satellite there. So I encourage you to be thoughtfully fearless. And then don't let them tell you it's not possible. So be imaginative, fearless, curious. It's fun. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Christy. Um, and now we're going to move on to our panel on the future of transportation. It's, uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. I did a story recently on car hacking in which I found out that cars can be hacked. And uh, <laughs> we had this professor at UC San Diego actually hack into one of our one of my colleagues at KPBS, her car. It was pretty spooky, but you know he made the point that you, we we have this idea about how cars work, and it's it's totally outdated. You know, cars already are just he said computers with wheels attached, and um, so we we sort of already live in this future of transportation, even though we might not realize it. But now we're going to hear from people who are pushing that even further. And each of them is going to tell us a little bit about themselves. And we're going to start off with Eric Maglio from Northrop Grumman. Hi, 
Good morning. Uh, first of all, welcome. It's great to be on the Midway. Um, myself, like hopefully many of you, um, I'm really fascinated by technology and aviation. So I've visited here a couple of times, and it's exciting every time just to see all of this technology and all of the aircraft that are here. Um, now, I'm here because I'm the closest to having sat where you're sitting. Um, I haven't been uh, in my career for very long, so I still remember what it's like to be a student. Um, I was able to turn that into a high-technology career, and hopefully I still remember enough of that process to uh, give you some meaningful advice. So I'll start off by telling you a bit about what we do at Northrop Grumman because uh, we're a very large, very diverse company. We work on a lot of exciting technologies, and we've got a lot of great people. Um, and we're actually a collection of smaller companies over the years, uh, among which are Northrop Corporation and Grumman Corporation. Um, Northrop, founded by Jack Northrop, was one of the biggest proponents of the flying wing design, which is the most recognizable uh, in the form of the B-2 Spirit stealth bomber and soon uh, the B-21, which is essentially its successor. Uh, we also have Grumman, which was a big part of carrier aviation. So a lot of the aircraft you see here, we've got an E-2 over here on this side. There's an A-6 on this side. I saw an F-14 in the back. Those were all built by Grumman. And uh, it's a long heritage of, of building aircraft that can land on carriers, that can do reconnaissance and strike. Uh, it's very exciting. We were able to move that into the future with uh, an airplane called the X-47B. You can see a model of it over on my uh, table over here. It is a technology demonstrator for an unmanned carrier-launched aircraft. Um, landing an aircraft on a carrier is the hardest thing a pilot can do, so we thought it would be cool to do that with no pilot. Uh, the X-47 is about the size of an F-18 strike fighter. Uh, it has no pilot at all. It's just driven by uh, mission operators that give it commands and allow it to make some of its own decisions. And it lands on carriers so accurately that if we didn't put some randomness into the navigation, the tailhook would dig a hole into the same spot on the deck every time. Um, that It's one of the coolest things that we've worked on. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that model later, but it's, it's a really neat story to tell. Uh, so what I do at Northrop Grumman is I'm a conceptual design engineer. I'm an ideas person. It's my job to come up with ideas for uh, innovative new designs, prototypes, technologies, or new ways we can use our existing technology. And that's very important because uh, sometimes we don't know what the best ideas that'll become the next big thing are. And we need people that just sit down and can brainstorm these ideas and try them and make them happen. Uh, I work with somebody who designed the Global Hawk on a cocktail napkin. Uh, Global Hawk is a huge unmanned aircraft. The wingspan's about the same as a 737, and it can fly for over 30 hours. So it's, it's really important that we just have people coming up with these fresh new ideas. Uh, it's important for me to help inspire people to do that uh, for the sake of the industry, not just for our company. If, if one of you comes away from this event today inspired to get involved in aviation or high technology or science and math, 
even if you don't come work for Northrop Grumman in the future or any of the companies here, we've still succeeded because the industry as a whole and everyone as a whole is better off. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about my background. I was fortunate enough to really be interested in aviation and know what I wanted to do since I was very young. Uh, not everyone is that way. I work with someone who uh, wanted to be a fashion designer. And she's a fantastic engineer now because she realized you can be as creative as a fashion designer in engineering. So if you take away anything from this, um, know that you don't have to know which direction you're going, but if you do decide to go into a technology career, you can be as creative and as innovative as any other career field, and you can work on some of these very cool things. Um, so I went to Purdue University. I got a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering. And at the end of it, I really wanted to build something to test what I had learned. So I built the airplane that's sitting on my table. It's a model of, of Northrop Grumman's X-47. And I went to a trade show. I wanted to see, to interact with companies. I wasn't looking for a job. I'd already have one. But Northrop Grumman noticed me because of what I did. So if you have an idea, you can take that idea and apply it by building something. Don't be afraid to fail. I've failed several times on various projects. But that's what it takes to get noticed. If you're inspired by math and science, go do it. Make it happen. Uh, nothing's stopping you from developing an idea yourself, and big things can come of it. All right. Thanks, Eric. And now we're going to hear from April Bullduke from SDG&E. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, I work at San Diego Gas and Electric, and I actually think I have one of the best jobs at the company because I get to talk cars all day. We brought a couple of them here with us, the uh, Kia from uh, Kearney Pearson Kia, and then also the Fiat, the all-electric Fiat from Bob Baker Fiat. So um, I drive the Fiat, and I've been driving all-electric for about five years, and um, I think one of the common denominators of all of us that are up here is that we have careers where we've taken a passion and we've channeled that into a career. So I graduated from UC San Diego uh, with a degree in communication and um, my focus was public relations and communications and I worked at a PR firm. And then um, the local utility, San Diego Gas and Electric, uh, asked if they could hire me away and I thought, wow, working at a utility, like I never thought I would do that. I never considered it. And um, what are some of the things that a utility does? And um, now having been at the company for about 10 years, they do things like renewable energy, um, like wind farms and solar, like a smart grid. Um, how do you use technology to make the energy that you have work better? And then they also... Um, Oh, it's like right on time. Uh, they also uh, power electric cars. So we have a lot of customers that are uh, coming up to us and wanting to uh, charge their electric cars. So um, I, th I think we'll let those growlers go, right, over there? Um, so they, uh, the, the grid powers electric cars, and one of the things that I found um, for me personally that I like about plugging into San Diego's electric grid specifically is that a third of our energy comes from renewable resources. So I live in an apartment and I don't have solar on my house, 
but when I do plug in my car, um, I feel good about the fact that at least I'm getting a third of my electricity from wind and solar. And we also don't have any coal, with, which I think is uh, very important. So I've been on our electric vehicle team for about five years, um, and I was one of the first at our company to have an electric car. So uh, being one of the first, and now we have more than 250 employees that are driving electric cars. Um, Here in our region, there's about 20,000 people that drive electric cars, and San Diego has one of the highest uh, adoption rates of electric cars uh, per capita, which I think is exciting. Um, and there's all different types of electric cars. A lot of people maybe, you know, think right to the Tesla because the Tesla Model 3 recently had 450,000 people sign up uh, just to get that car um, because it's going to go 200 miles, and that's really exciting, and the cost is uh, a lot cheaper than we've seen electric cars uh, become. But there's all types of incentives. There's all types of prices, from the very expensive to the very cheap. I know some of my friends that are actually technically driving free cars because of their uh, low payment and the incentives that you get from the state, which is pretty cool. Uh, one thing about electric vehicles, and, and it's, a, it's an opportunity for us, and that is that the governor wants to see 1.5 million uh, zero-emission vehicles on California roads by uh, 2025. And that presents an opportunity and a challenge for us at San Diego Gas and Electric. Uh, the opportunity is that our neighborhoods are going to have cleaner driving cars throughout them. The challenge is how do you support 150,000, if we're about 10% of the state here, um, so of that 1.5 million, how do you support 150,000 cars that are going to be plugging in? Um, You do that through very uh, innovative ways, and you do it uh, without building power plants, and you do it through charging stations that are integrated with our smart grid so that we can incentivize our customers to charge their cars at times of day when there is more solar, uh, there is more wind on the grid, and we can pass a low cost on to you. So those are just some of the projects that I'm working on at SDG&E, and it's just so exciting to be in a field where, like I said, um, when I was graduating from UCSD and my whole focus was communications, and how can I turn that into a love? And and my love now is electric cars, and that's something that I uh, get to go out and talk to um, people just like you every single day about it. So um, I look forward to hearing your questions. All right, next we're going to hear from Christian Gustafson of Asymmetric Research Group. Thank you for having me. Steve, thank you for the invite and the organizers. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, talk a little bit about my work at the uh, Asymmetric Research Group and Strategic Operations. I've been in San Diego uh, since about 2004, and uh, it's hard to think uh, that I was in high school almost 15 years ago. I uh, was just reminiscing on that, and uh, time flies. So the time to start now, or the time to start on your career is, is now. And everything that you do, you know, uh, you can go one direction or the, or the other. Having a vision for that is important, but being passionate is, I think, even more important because what you're passionate about is going to lead you in the direction you want to do. And as was said earlier, that, uh, that passion can ultimately uh, take you to your uh, career. So I, I'm what uh, you would call the, the, the guy that goes out there, the, the explorer, 
we've got um, a great team that I work with, and each one of us has uh, various capabilities from the uh, technology side, communications, development, logistics, planning. Uh, I'm, I'm ultimately the one that people say, that's going to be too expensive. We can't do that. We're not ready yet. And I'm usually the one that has to go out and find out, well, maybe they weren't ready yet, or maybe they didn't think they were, and uh, they actually are. So when, uh, when I lead projects, I, I tend to find ones that not only, uh, you know, it helps to have uh, ones that are well-funded, but uh, <laughs> usually, the, uh, usually the projects are something that I, I'm interested in, whether it be uh, underwater mapping or uh, renewable energy. There's, there's a wide range of efforts that I've worked on throughout my career uh, through Scripps Institution of Oceanography, Asymmetric Research Group, and, and Strategic Operations. So um, what I tend to, the, the one common denominator with a lot of these projects is that there's usually uh, a challenge or a problem and then a, a, an opportunity. And, and that solution uh, to that challenge, uh, to that problem, can uh, and usually is proportional to whatever opportunities out there. So the, the, the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity on the back end. And, and right now we have a problem in the United States and around the world with uh, renewable energy or with energy in general and, and our natural resources. Uh, and renewable energy is a solution, big solution, to those larger problems. San Diego is leading the way in the development for that, not only for California, but for the entire world. And uh, growing up in Chicago, people always look to, you know, the West Coast, Southern California for innovation, uh, design, fashion, what have you. And, and we've got a new opportunity to lead the way here. And I think that uh, it's, it's incredibly evident to see. You just look around from, you know, several aircraft carriers, a huge Navy base, technology. We've, we've got it all here. You guys are, are in a unique position to take advantage of that. And like I said, the time to start is right now. So thanks again for having me. All right, and our final speaker is going to be Benno Benziger from the Electra Bike Company and the founder of Benno Bikes. Hi there. Good morning. Um, First of all, I'd like to thank the uh, organizers uh, for the invitation to have me here and uh, share my story with you. I'd also like to thank all of you for being here. Um, you know, I'm, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, I'm just a bike guy, you know, like uh, these guys are scientists, engineers, you know, I'm, I'm just a bike guy. But one of the most fascinating things that I've ever heard about bicycles is uh, Steve Jobs said, you know, he, there was a study that, um, they were studying about efficiencies of animals and creatures on this planet. And the humans were not so efficient. We were like, you know, down number 10 or something, maybe less than that. And he, uh, the, the condor turns out to be the most efficient animal on the planet. And um, in the same study, they did something really interesting. They paired a person with a bicycle, a human with a bicycle. They paired, and, and, they, and they studied that, and they came to the conclusion that a human on a bicycle is way more efficient than a condor. And, and this is, I think, this is where bicycles are really, really important. Uh, and so 
I just wanted to share with you kind of like how I, how I got in the bike business, really, my journey here, because, you know, I, am, I was born and raised in Germany. I grew up, I grew up in Berlin uh, at the time, and we still had a Berlin Wall. At the age of 11, I saw a surfer on TV, um, and I, was, I couldn't believe somebody could stand on a small board and ride a wave. This image just fascinated me and got me into skateboarding, which was just starting at the time. Uh, a few years later, I saw the first picture in a magazine of a guy on a snowboard. I immediately knew this will be a big sport. I started building snowboards in my bedroom and sold them to my friends. I, I was too young to turn this into a real business, but I learned that my gut feeling and instincts for trends were right, and I needed to follow them. In the meantime, I went to a regular school and was an average student with all the typical struggles and distractions. Um, after I finally graduated from high school in 1985, I worked at an ice cream store, and I saved enough money to buy a plane ticket to come to California. Coming here, I knew I wanted to live here. I was only 19 years old. After a great summer in California, I went back to Berlin and studied design. Three years later, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in graphic design and fine arts. Finally, I was free. I was free and ready to pursue my dreams to go to America and work in the action sports industry. However, it was much harder than I imagined, and I had a very slow and humble start. I was working little design jobs and trying to get my green card so I could stay. My dream was to start a clothing company, surf, skate, snowboard, casual wear. Lived, uh, casual wear. I lived in Newport Beach at the time, and I noticed people were riding around on very cool old vintage cruiser bikes from the 40s and the 50s. It was part of California beach culture and a great theme for a hip clothing line that could be sold to people that didn't surf, skate, and snowboard. Shortly after, I designed my first T-shirts and hats. At this time, I met my business partner, Jano Air Force, who originally made his money selling pieces of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> Together, we decided we need to make some actual bikes in order to display and sell our clothing better. It turned out that people were much more interested in our cool vintage looking cruiser bikes than the apparel line. I wasn't very happy about that since I really wanted a clothing company. But life had a different plan for me and I learned that you have to follow the path and trust the outcome. All of a sudden I found myself in a bike business making pretty bikes, but I noticed that I wasn't happy with the way traditional bikes rode. I also realized that cycling for, that cycling for transportation wasn't very popular in the US. My new goal became to make better, more comfortable bikes that would inspire people to use their bikes for casual transportation. Breaking all the traditional rules in the bike industry, we designed a bike that was more comfortable with an upright seating position and that allows you to put your feet flat on the ground while standing still. We called it a townie with flat foot technology, and we filed a patent for our unique new riding position. At first, the industry laughed at us and our new townie. 
it was difficult to get the bike stores to believe in the new concept. Ultimately, the consumers validated our invention and understood the advantages of the new design. Ten years later, the Townie became the most sold bike in America. Ultimately, I designed the Townie for myself and found out that many people shared my dislikes for traditional bikes and preferred our new ride. I strongly believe we can do the best, most honest work by solving problems for ourselves and sharing the outcome with others. Please remember to follow your dreams and most important, never give up. Sometimes goals seem out of reach and far away, but you will be amazed how far you can go one step at a time. Life has a plan for each of you. Find your passion and notice the opportunities given to you. Don't be afraid of failure and keep on dreaming. Thank you. I'm Alex Wilson. I'm from Taft Middle School. Is it really true that one satellite could fit in one nose? That oh yeah, isn't that amazing? Uh, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that and you know Viasat builds really big satellites compared to others, and yes, the the solar panels fold up and those antennas fold up, and yes, it fits in the nose, and I think it's amazing too. <laughs> Uh, my name is Hutton. I'm from Claremont High. Uh, I'm wondering uh, what kind of mathematical classes or equations do you guys usually use in your work? Well, for myself, uh, aerospace engineering is interesting because it's actually a, a combination of a lot of different disciplines. So to build an airplane, you need people that know mechanical design, thermodynamics. Uh, you need people that know jet propulsion, but you also need people that can write code, um, builds computers. So really, a huge array of skills, different types of classes, um, are all applicable to these types of uh, high-technology careers. Hi, um, my name is Vesla Kyle, and I'm from Morris High School. And I was wondering if satellites are more efficient than traditional cables for Wi-Fi? Satellites can, um, can provide higher speeds than some cable. Cable and, and DSL and a lot of the wires... Um, it de like for DSL, it depends how far you are from the base station. For cable, it depends how many are using. Generally, if you live in the middle of a city and you have access to fiber, then you can get higher speeds. But otherwise, satellite makes a lot of sense in the suburbs and the other areas. And obviously, on places like planes, trucks, and um, boats. Um, hello, I'm Aaron Mickelson. I'm from Morris High School. And this question is for uh, Mr. Benno. Um, I didn't quite understand the significance of the bike and the um, efficiency reference you made. I just wanted to clarify that. What Steve Jobs was saying in his little clip, and it really was fascinating. So he said basically that they were they were testing they were they were testing the efficiency of creatures of any animals and humans and 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 how efficient we are. You know how how much how far can we go by burning how many calories. You know what is the efficiency of a of a of a creature basically, and and so they found out that humans are not so efficient. You know we're not we're not that efficient in the way we operate um, from a, from a, from a moving standpoint, right? But if you pair a a person a human with a bicycle, we are off the charts. You know so basically 
the the bicycle is is an is an amazing extension of a of a person and and more than than anything else on the planet so like you get on a on a bicycle you can enhance self self propel and self enhance yourself to a level that is greater than the condor oh. all right thank you all right my name is albert i'm from claremont high school and i've got a question for miss bulldog what is your opinion on the use of nuclear power to boost our power grid um, my opinion on uh, nuclear power to boost our power grid, um, it actually is one of the least expensive fuels that we have. Um, I think it's a clean fuel. I think that we should have more nuclear um, Unfortunately, we had the recent nuclear power plant here that was shut down. Um, but I do think that we can incorporate all types of fuels into our energy mix. Uh, I think renewable energy uh, is just fantastic to see that growing. Um, but I think uh, specifically on nuclear, it was one of the least expensive fuels that we had. And uh, for San Diego, we lost that. Um, so we're making up for that in other areas. All right. Thank you. My name is Jesse Hernandez. I'm from Morris High School. And I also have a question for you, Ms. Bodoc. Um, I want to know if you see a foreseeable future where the United States uses 100% clean energy. Right. Um, I do see that. Uh, I think it's, it's San Diego, gas and electric. We're going to be moving towards at least 50% renewable uh, energy. Um, there are so many things that you can do with clean uh, capturing and renewable natural gas. So while I think that all fuels make up a very good um, uh, and reliable energy mix, I think that all of those fuels becoming cleaner are what we need to see. And getting that to 100%, I think, would be fantastic. Thank you. My name is Jesus Cruz. I'm from Morse High School. And my question is for Eric Malayo, Mike Lyle. Um, since you said the cars are hackable and you guys are making unmanned aircrafts, what ensures us that those aircrafts can't be hackable too? And if they are, what are the dangers and steps you guys are taking in order to ensure safety of, like, so they're not hackable or they don't get into wrong hands? Uh, well, that's definitely a, a concern, but security is not a new concept. Uh, just because unmanned systems are becoming more prevalent doesn't mean that this isn't a problem that people have been working on and solving for decades. Uh, so ever since we started developing advanced military technologies, there have been very smart people working to keep it secure. Thank you. Hello, my name is Jenna Archetta. I am from Crawford High School, and I have a question for Jessica and MacLeo, having to do with the internet and how satellites connect with worldwide sources and how we can be able to better our security risk. Because you did mention uh, the hacking of cars, but and stuff like that, because they're unmanned. But how would you? What are thoughts about improving that? Okay, so that was for uh, security of the internet. Yes, and in general, and so uh, satellite. By the way, it's really hard to intercept a satellite signal, but then once the signal is decoded and it's just regular internet packets, 
I think satellite internet would be very similar to any other kind of internet. And we spend a lot of time on internet security, um, but we use the same types of techniques that you'd use for, for any uh, internet service. So satellite's not much, much different there. And it's definitely a big area of emphasis. And uh, if you study that in school, you will definitely get good jobs. All right. I'd say something along those same lines. Uh, we spend a lot of time working to keep our systems secure, and we're aware that we always have to be one step ahead of people that are trying to break into these. All right, so is there any rival for this satellite so far from other countries? Yes, there are. And uh, in the satellite world, we, because of our innovations and the way we did our satellites differently, we can provide more satellite to more people at high speeds, um, which means if we can put more people on our satellites than others and still give them high speeds, we can give them lower prices. Because, you know, we spend a certain amount on the satellite, we have to get that back. But if we can put many, many more um, services on, then then it makes it cheaper. But we al you always um, have to look at other alternatives to communications too, and we do that. So it's not only satellite, but it's wireless, but we have a similar type of advantage there. I think there's a lot of opportunity for satellite uh, around the world where there's much less internet than, than here. Um, like I said, if you have fiber here, you, 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 know, you may want to stick with that, but that's not the case in the rest of the world. Thank you. Hello, I'm Angel Acevedo. I'm from Morris High School, and my question is for Christy Jaska. Uh, how will internet speeds that Viasat uh, offer compare to other companies such as Google Fiber? Yeah, Google Fiber just recently was just in the news. You might you might have seen um, they're trying some really really high speeds in the cities. Uh, we will be very competitive with uh, with cable. Uh, I think fiber is still going to be, you know, maybe a little faster in the near term. But really, if you want to, uh, let's say you want to watch an HD movie, that's about five megabits per second. Let's say four people in your house want to watch an HD movie, that's 20 megabits per second. Um, if you want to internet browse, um, other, other applications, you know, need that amount or less. And so if you have a service that's 10, 20, 30 megabits per second for, for now, that really gets you what you need. Um, and I, and, but everything, you know, everything's getting faster and faster as is satellite. I'm Michaela and I come from Crawford and um, I was just wondering if there was a way where the uh, VIA satellites would come in play with the electric cars. Like if uh, you had a driverless car and you wanted to stream a Netflix movie while you're commuting. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that is a really good idea, especially in air, you know, you're not going to have wires to a car. The alternative there would be some kind of um, uh, cellular wireless. Again, we can provide really high capacities. What we're working on now is getting antennas that are... Uh, We'd have to, we're working on some innovations where the antennas for a car would be cheaper because right now we still have them on airplanes and larger vehicles like news gathering trucks. And so that's what we'd have to innovate to make 
that more uh, reasonable? Um, my name is Matthew Gomez, and I'm from Morse High School. Uh, this is a question for like any of you guys. Um, technology wasn't where it was today when you guys were in school. So how did you guys use technology to the best of your ability uh, in your field? I'm going to say something super quick and pass it on. I, I am learning all the time. I, you don't stop learning at school. I learn things every day, every month, every year. Keep, keep learning. So I wasn't in school very long ago, so technology pretty much was where it is today. Um, but I will say, one thing that's really exciting to keep track of is additive manufacturing, 3D printing. Uh, you can do this on your desktop. Uh, I make use of it in my job and at home as much as I can, and that's a really cool thing to, to follow. I think for me, the largest technology jump that I've seen is really the electric car and specifically um, when we're talking about the torque. So if you think about how when you're in your bedroom and you flip on a light switch, you know, the electricity powers it right away. Um, Electric cars have many, many fewer parts in them than a gasoline car. So if you think of when you step on the gas of a car, you know, there's lots of tubes and things that are going on. But when you step on the pedal of an electric car, it's like you're flipping on that switch and it just goes. And the speed and the torque that you feel is like no other um, gasoline car could provide. So for me, that's one uh, technological advance that I've seen that I just love, and uh, which is why I love being in this field. Uh, I just keep hanging out with the smart kids. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, playing football in high school, hanging out with smart kids, getting to UCSD, more smart kids, grad school at Scripps, now military intelligence and high tech. So, yeah, just... Or be a smart kid, and then, uh, yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm a designer, so I, I'm not, you know, I like my pen and my paper still today, you know, so thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Bridget from Claremont High School, and my question is for kind of everybody. Um, what was the most helpful course or class that you've taken to prepare yourself for your careers? For me, it was a class uh, called Design, Build, Fly, where we take all of the aircraft design processes we learn, and it really isn't specific to aircraft. It applies to designing almost anything. And we actually use that to build something, because I think hands-on learning is really important to finally grasping the concepts that you learn from textbooks or homework. And and also... uh I found two things. One, uh, traveling abroad, taking advantage of that in college is absolutely huge. You will, your mind will just be blown when you go uh, overseas. I mean, Europe, Asia, Africa, wherever. Um, just pick a spot. It helps to maybe have some heritage there or, or interest in a spot. And then the second would be uh, independent study classes. The, the counselors don't necessarily advertise those a lot, but uh, I, th- I think you can take up to, you know, one or two each year, uh, same, cre- same credits uh, as, as your other college classes. Those were huge because I got to work directly with a professor and uh, on a topic that, that I chose to work on. And, and uh, one, in per- one uh, independent study course in particular as an undergrad at UCSD was how I got to start working at Scripps Institution of Oceanography. So that was a great way to not only uh, pursue something that I was per- uh, particularly interested in, but also build a, a great relationship with the professor that ended up becoming a, a good friend and mentor. 
For me, I would say it's not uh, one particular class, but it's one particular thing that we did in those classes, and that's when you're working on teams. So in many classes where you're having to work on a project together, I know that all of us wouldn't be up here today if we weren't able to collaborate successfully with the small or large teams that we're in because you know now we're doing that in our careers, and while I'm in communications, I work with engineers all the time. And so it's able to collaborate with people that uh, may not think like me or have the same background like me, but I can just glean this amazing amount of information and have this respect for them that we are able to get something done more quickly. Well, thanks everybody for coming out and thanks to our panelists. Let's give a round of applause.